I always said I was diagnosed with MS. I was never willing to say I have it because I didn't want to own the label. And what I have discovered through my own meditations and health discoveries, wellness discoveries within myself was really I was resisting it. I was resisting the MS in general. I wasn't becoming friends with it. I believed in meditation and I would dabble, but I didn't really practice. And it wasn't until I really practiced after that exacerbation and I began really practicing that I discovered how much I had been resisting my diagnosis and how it was truly when I began to fully accept it and embrace it that doors just opened. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? Do you consider yourself a confident person? Do you feel okay talking about your diagnosis or does it make you feel uncomfortable? I know lots of people I would consider confident that do not want to talk about MS. So are the two related? What does it take to get to a point where it feels okay to embrace your diagnosis? I talk about it whenever. I don't care if it makes people uncomfortable and it causes a bunch of questions to come flying my way. It's okay with me. But it took a minute for me to get here. And I think I needed to empower myself in some way to really own it and embrace it as part of me. I did that through this podcast. And all you thrivers listening helped me to be in this calm and grateful and honest place for myself. Not everyone has a podcast, although many do, (laughs) but not everyone does. So there are other outlets for us to guide us into that space of empowerment. My guest today, she is a former, actually very successful former personal wardrobe stylist and certified image consultant in NY and LA. Very fancy. A pretty big time, actually. 10 plus years at this. But Megan Evans found these tools that brought her to her true calling. Through the MS stage, Megan takes women on this six-week healing journey. Megan uses her 18 plus years of experience with MS and gets her vertigo tendencies into the mix. A self-proclaimed spiritual entrepreneur, Megan, her husband, Craig, and her rescue dog, Hawk, have built a beautiful life together in Folly Beach, South Carolina. I'm really excited to hear about what Megan and the MS stage are all about. Let's chat it up with Megan. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I really appreciate it. We have similar outlooks on RMS, so I'm excited to talk. Absolutely. I know this from following you on socials a little bit, 
but I want to make sure all the listeners get a full dose of Megan and what you're all about today. So let's start off just so they can get to know you a little bit with your diagnosis story, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. So I was living in New York at the time, and I was literally in my first move in the process of my first move from New York to LA, and I was 24 years old. And I lost feeling on the left side of my body. And I thought, oh, it's the stress of the move because moving out of New York City (laughs) or within New York City is very stressful. And so I thought, I'm exhausted. I'm changing new jobs. I'm literally moving across the country. I'm stressed out. I thought it was just all accumulating. And I thought, oh, I'll get home. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, where I now live. But I thought, oh, I'll get home and it'll all be okay. And it slowly got worse. And by the time I flew back to Charleston and my mom and I were literally about to get my old car that I had left here when I moved to New York the first time, and we were about to drive it across the country. And I got here and I got into my sister's house and my left leg buckled. And I was like, that's weird. Cause it had gone from like my left arm flopping sort of to me having vertigo to then my left leg fell out from underneath me. And I was like, something's not right. Something's definitely not right. And so I went to the neurologist. Well, I went to the GP the next day. And luckily I was in Charleston at the time because I had the family doctor that I had known it forever and went to him. And he was like, well, I think you've had a stroke, you have a brain tumor or you have MS. And I was like, well, I'll take door number three if I have to choose. (laughs) So he sent me to a neurologist who got me an MRI and the MRI showed nothing. I had one lesion. Hmm. And so he was like, I can't officially diagnose you with MS, but most likely that's what you have. But I don't know. And I was like, okay, so what does that mean? But they put me on steroids to help me get the inflammation down. My job in LA waited for me. I had a new job waiting on me out there. And so they waited a month, which was really amazing. And they waited for me for a month because I had to walk and get my vertigo back and get better. And so that's really how I was officially. And that doctor actually, my very first neurologist experience, he did a spinal tap. And they lost the tap results. (laughs) So they sent them to the lab. They lost them. And then suddenly, miraculously, they were like, oh, we found them. And they don't show anything. And I was in so much pain from the tap that I actually had to go into the hospital for five days because they had to do blood patch on me to help put blood back in where they had taken out the fluid. And they had to do two blood patches on me, which is very unusual because I was in so much pain. So I was like, I'm never doing that again. And that was the doctor who literally said, it's as if you've had a stroke, you'll likely end up in a wheelchair one day. Great. And I literally looked at my mom and I was like, no, I won't. Absolutely. I was like, we're out of here and we're never coming back to this man ever again. And we didn't. I was like, "Um, no, that is not what's happening. So that was my first experience of being diagnosed. And it wasn't even official. It took six more months by the time I got to L.A., I went to another neurologist and six months later, he was like, I see striations, which are like the beginning stages of lesions, apparently. And he was like, I think I could say you have MS. And so that was six months later. And I was only 24 years old. (laughs) So that was a lot to deal with. And I'm trying to start my career. And I was trying to get just my life going, really. I was so young. I was just a few years out of college and I'm super ambitious and career oriented. And 
people were like, oh, you should get a handicap sticker on your car. And I was like, what? No, what? I'm, I'm, it's fine. And they were like, well, you should join a support group. And I was like, no, they're so depressed. All I could picture was older people in walkers, wheelchairs, on canes that were much older than me, because that was my vision of what MS was. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of information out there. And internet, honestly, email had just started like three years, before, five years before. So it wasn't like email wasn't even a big deal. So Google wasn't a big deal. People didn't really even do that then. You know, it was just beginning to become a thing. So it was before the time of a lot of information, Mm -hmm. you know, and having access to even doctors now on Instagram who talk about things or podcasts or whatever. None of that existed back then. So it was really a matter of finding my own way, honestly. And as a young person with MS, I didn't want to communicate with people who had had it a super long time and were very set in their ways about certain things. I wanted to do it my own way. And I was trying to be positive. And in some ways, I was trying to just ignore it. (laughs) Not ignore it because I was doing a lot of, I got off gluten immediately. I stopped drinking. Not that I was a big drinker, but when I would go out with friends as a young 24 year old, you want to go out and have a good time. And I didn't, I would go out and drink club soda. So I definitely made health changes that I felt were good for me. And I did that immediately, which I really feel helped me in the long run. I'm surprised that anybody even mentioned to you at that point, because 20 years ago, people weren't talking about how diet and that kind of thing impacted MS. So you had you were up on the game, man. Yeah, I was. And I owe a lot of that to my mom, really, because she found out about this homeopath. It was like we went on this like investigative journey and she helped me do that. And I found an acupuncturist in LA. And luckily the LA thing, the fact that I had moved from New York to LA, LA was way ahead of the curve and their whole wellness community out there. So even me going gluten-free then wasn't so crazy out there in LA. If I had been in New York and stayed and tried to do that, that would have been almost impossible. Now it's everywhere. But back then for many years, even in New York and LA, I mean, it was like, New York, definitely there weren't healthy restaurants. Now there are. (laughs) But in LA, there were places I could find that I could still be healthy and it wasn't too woo-woo or weird or out there or whatever. But yeah, I was always into that. And luckily I was because I really believe I'd be way worse off if I hadn't gone that route because I didn't get on a drug for 14 years. Okay. What made that transition happen? So... I was very resistant to saying I have MS and I've discovered over this last four and a half, five years. And that's really what the MS stage was born from. And we'll talk about that. But I always said I was diagnosed with MS. I was never willing to say I have it because I didn't want to own the label. And what I have discovered through my own meditations and health discoveries, wellness discoveries within myself was really I was resisting it. I was resisting the MS in general. I wasn't becoming friends with it. I believed in meditation and I would dabble, but I didn't really practice. And it wasn't until I really practiced after that exacerbation and I began really practicing that I discovered how much I had been resisting my diagnosis. And 
how it was truly when I began to fully accept it and embrace it, that doors just opened. Now, interestingly enough, I have progressed because I am almost 20 years in. And that's what's interesting. But the way I've dealt with them, instead of just ignoring, now I'm actually delving more into the community. I've created this program for women with MS because I know how scary it is. And I know how alone people can feel. And I know the importance of being part of a community now and understanding also just embracing it because we're all in this together. Everybody has a different journey and everybody's going to have a different experience with it, but it's how we embrace it. It's how we communicate with it. It's how we talk to it. It's how we love it. And it's really important. And I'm a very positive person and that is how I've done it, honestly. And that's how I've dealt with it. And if I hadn't done what I've done and on this long journey, I wouldn't be where I am. That was the long-winded way of (laughs) answering your question, I think. (laughs) Well, let me say this. Okay, so it's really interesting that you're doing all the things. You're doing all the health things, eating right, all that. And you still have a relapse. And from what I'm hearing from you, you had a really stressful job. And stress is my key key piece that that's the thing that gets me every time. So I take serious measures not to get stressed. And, you know, if you get mad at me because I'm leaving on time from work and not staying two hours late, I'm sorry, but that is going to help me do what I need to do to stay healthy, to come back to work tomorrow. Absolutely. So making those serious, significant lifestyle changes helped you a lot. Now, you said you had gotten on a DMT at that point. What are you on now? So I got on Copaxone. It's been four and a half years, almost five, I guess, when I got on Copaxone. And I'm actually about to switch soon to probably Vumerity or Bafirtum, I think is how you say it. Wow. I haven't even heard of those two drugs. They're in the Tecfidera family. So they're all Tecfidera equivalents, basically. They just have less side effects than Tecfidera, gastrointestinal side effects. So that's my next move. I'm going to try that and see what happens. The thing is, honestly, from my understanding and what I've learned now is that MS is just an illness that progresses. It just does. And there's not a lot you can necessarily do about that. I think all the anti-inflammatory things that I do absolutely help that and exercise, diet, supplementation, all the things. And I do all the things. And I know a lot about all the things too, because I'm obsessed with wellness. So I do all of that, but I've had it almost 20 years at this point. This was a new thing. Actually, it just happened like this week, maybe was my appointment with my neurologist where I went in there guns blazing. And I'm normally the one who, I don't know, I'm really nervous. Like my body, I'm really, and I am, I'm very sensitive to things. And so I have to go really slow with medication, which is why Copaxone for me was the most natural. And I was more willing to try that in the beginning because my body is so sensitive. I was like, I'm not going to the strongest of the strongest drug. Mm -hmm. I just know my body. Anyway, but I went in there and I was like, okay, I'm ready. Just let's figure this out. What are we changing? You know, and I was like, I'd done my research. I narrowed it down, but I have a way of testing it on myself, testing myself and meditating with it and learning which one works, which one isn't going to be good for me. When I went in and I had narrowed it down to three or four 
And he was like, oh, okay, cool. Because he was expecting me to be like, I don't know, I'm not ready, you know? And I was like, nope, I'm ready. Let's do it. Just, I'm good. And he was like, okay, great. I was like, good. Yeah, okay. Just let me keep talking here because I can't. (laughs) He was like, who is this person? But I really, it's like, I have to come to it on my own terms. And I really have to come to it in an empowered way. And Afterwards, my sister was like, oh, are you okay? And I was like, no, I actually feel good about this. I'm happy about my decision. I feel empowered. And that's what I needed to do. I needed to go about it my own way. And so that's what I'm going to next. And we'll see. We'll see. But I have foot drop. It's all on my left side. Your left side's your feminine side, FYI. Your right side's your male side. So it's on my feminine side, which is interesting. But I also named, named my leg. She is my superpower now and she's actually getting better recently. So yeah, it's all part of the process, but it's really a mindset thing. And I totally agree with stress. Every single exacerbation I ever had was from a high stress episode. Mm. It was like whether I got in a fight with my boss one time episode, I was working too much and I was not sleeping enough episode. I had a gas leak in my apartment once. Talk about high stress and I didn't know it. And I was sleeping in it for two days. I literally could have died. And all of a sudden I woke up and I was crawling to the front door to try to get out of the apartment and called my colleague. And I was like, you have to come get me. I don't understand what's going on. And he walked in my apartment. He was like, there's gas in here. And I was like, what? So the gas had made me tripped out or something that I didn't even smell it. I had been sleeping in there. So yeah, whatever it was, whether it was chemical, physical, just stress, emotional stress. It's always stress related for sure. And I was in New York on 9-11. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you tell me yeah. more about and that? Was, yeah. So I had just moved to New York five days before 9-11. And my mom was literally supposed to fly home that day. She had dropped me off. We'd spent the weekend and she was supposed to be on a flight that afternoon back to Charleston. And we were there and we were in Gramercy at the time that morning. And it was a few months later, interestingly enough, in December, I started having some dizziness. Mm. So I believe that was actually the beginning of my MS, but nobody knew then. Like I had an MRI then they didn't see anything. They put me on like migraine medication, which did nothing. They thought I was having migraines. So I actually think that was a stressor that actually began the actual MS, but I didn't know it for three more years. Sure, sure. So yeah, I think a lot of people deal with that stress trigger. Like I said, I really do. And hearing all these events that have gone on in your life, I'm not surprised to hear that they were followed by some sort of issue, relapse, whatever you want to call it. But You've been through a bunch and I have to take my hat off to you for being on Copaxone for four years because that auto inject pen, I think I lasted nine months. I don't even (laughs) think it was that long. And yeah, so I definitely am not on that anymore. So good for you. (laughs) Well, I don't, so I didn't do the auto eject. I manually did it. Mm. I hated the auto eject so much. I did it like maybe once or twice. I think my husband did it on me twice, maybe. And I hated it so much. I like yelled at him every time I was like, don't ever do that to me again. And 
I wanted to have control over it. Ah. So it was really empowering for me to switch to doing it manually. And people thought that was crazy because they were like, really, you want to inject your like, and I was like, yes, because I can control the speed. It's not scary. It's not shocking. And how I did it and do it still is I talk to it as I'm putting it in. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. So I literally, when I'm injecting myself, I'll say, thank you for working for me. Thank you uh, for doing your job. I'm grateful for it. I've made it sort of part of my practice now. And my student just told me on Friday, because she's only been on it for a few weeks. She just was diagnosed recently and she started Copaxone and she hated the autoject. And I was like, look, try it manually and see what happens and talk to it. And she was like, Megan, it helped so much. Now I'm actually, it's okay. It's okay. And I was like, yay, I'm so glad because it really changes your perspective on it. It gives you control, right? And I tell people, even when you're getting an IV or you're maybe taking a pill, whatever it is, like just talk to it, thank it, be grateful for it. Thank it for working for you. I think it's really important. It sounds like gratitude is part of your everyday practice. Is that a big part of the MS stage? It is. I would say absolutely because, and I suggest to students maybe either speaking it out loud or writing down a few things in the morning they might be grateful for, but inherently in the practice, in the work that we do, we are dancing with our symptoms. We're seeing them in a new light we're meditating with them and visualizing the positivity of it, how they're empowering us, how they're going to become our superpower. So all of it's about gratitude and empowerment and gratefulness and taking it to the next level with your MS journey so that it's not negative. I don't want any negativity. And I know it's a totally different kind of support group. This is not the typical type of support group that you would think of. We don't sit around and talk about negative things. Of course, if people cry, great, release it. I welcome the release and people are sharing, but we're flipping the script on their story with their MS so that it's not a Debbie Downer. There's a reason it's presented itself. We're getting to the bottom of what the reason is, what their symptoms are there to share with them, to show them, to tell them and get those messages clearly so that we can work with them. And I discovered this on my own journey. It's all about working with them instead of against them, right? I feel because I wasn't really willing to accept it, I was probably in fight or flight for many years. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> with my MS. It was a constant battle. And now it's part of me. It's here. I wake up and I know what I'm dealing with. And I'm grateful for it too, because I wouldn't be on this path. I wouldn't have gone as deep as I am. I wouldn't be as happy in my life. And I wouldn't be as present, honestly, in my life on a day-to-day -day basis if it wasn't for MS. Think about it. It forces us to be present. It does for sure. And it's so interesting what you talk about, the acknowledging of the diagnosis. And mm. for so many people that I've talked to, it's the thing that they're most grateful for is being able to, at some point, admit that they have this and start owning it. And mm -hmm. it's funny because the thrivers that I've interviewed all say that they had that break. 
they had that break of acceptance. And those people that I've asked to be on that are hesitant have not had that yet. They're just starting to get to that phase. So how is it? Because I'm sure some people that join the MS stage aren't there. They're joining to try and claim it for themselves. So what is that process like? I mean, don't give us all your secrets, obviously, but what is that like getting to that point and going through that with people? It's got to be super emotional. Yeah, I think every person's different. Some people are just happy to be there. Many women are happy to be part of a group of other women who they can relate to. Because most women have never even talked to other women with MS. A lot of them have never been in a group, have never especially been in a group like this, where they're meditating together, they're getting more to the root of stuff versus just going to a group and talking to people and having a meal or something. This is a much deeper, on a much deeper level. And everyone's different. I think for me, I don't know if you've heard of the hero's journey. Yes. Okay. So I use the hero's journey as my framework of the course and take them on their own ride, basically, of their own hero's journey of going from getting the call to adventure to their return. And that happens over the course of two, six weeks is the first half and the level two is the second half. And Somebody may not get to their return after only 12 weeks. That might take six months. It might take a year, but at least it gets them going there. It gets them closer to themselves. And it's really beautiful. The support of having other women in the group, being able to witness each other is very powerful because they're witnessing them literally dancing with their symptoms and moving with their symptoms. In the beginning, I'm guiding them to learn what it feels like to go from frustration with their symptom, moving with the frustration to moving with ease, from moving with hatred to moving with love. We're moving the different emotions through our bodies with our symptoms. And once you get to the return phase towards the end, the goal is that you get to moving with ease, that you get to moving with the joy and with the love and with the sincerity of that. I'm not saying it's easy, but the fact that you're doing it with a group, it's really special. Something really comes out of it that can evolve and it's really beautiful what can happen. I just started a new group on Friday and it's women from all over the world. I mean, there's two women in the UK, one in Ireland, one here in the US. And it's like, these women would not have met and would not have been able to be in a part of something like this if it wasn't for this group. And it's super. And I was like, you guys met for a reason. Like the groups find each other for a reason. They're meant to connect for whatever reason. I don't control that. I just help facilitate, right? I'm just the facilitator, the guide to let them go on their journey. And so each woman is on totally different journeys. One's had it a little longer than me. One's had it like 12 years. One's been only a year. One's like two years, you know, so they're all on different journeys, but they're learning from each other too, which is really beautiful. Yeah. It's so interesting how I, when I speak to someone newly diagnosed, how it takes me back into that moment and I can re-examine 
what that was like for myself and totally relate to people and share my experiences now as I've grown. So I bet that is pretty empowering for them to get to share in those experiences. And I know that empowerment and confidence are your core values. Share with me how that plays a role in your life today. Mm, It plays a role in everything I do. I talked about how clothes I feel like can help build confidence in people. So I do feel like style is actually a big part of what helps my confidence, but also just being out there talking to people and being positive about things and empowerment and confidence are to me very similar. They're on the same page. And I'm all about empowering other people, which then turns into empowering myself because I'm helping other people. So to me, that's just like one in the same, because I feel like I'm constantly working to empower people. Every conversation I have, whether it's my best friend, my mother, my whoever it is, my cousin, my doesn't even have to be family or friends. It can be students. It can be whatever. I'm constantly having conversations and that is just who I am. I just feel like because of that, it's moved into every cell of my body. And that's something I talk about too. It's like focusing on the cells because they listen to us. So the more we practice confidence or practice empowerment, our cells are listening. So we will exude that and our bodies will feel that. And so then our bodies can heal in that way too. Yeah. And passing on that knowledge to others, I think is just so valuable because There's been some points in my life where I had to make some really interesting decisions, interesting because they were challenging, but really because I needed to make those changes. So it was changes with other people that weren't bringing that into my life, that weren't helping me to feel confident that were actually breaking those things down in me, not allowing me to feel empowered with my illness or whatever it was in my life. And being around people like you who understand that, who have walked in those shoes, maybe not always felt that way, but have grown to understand what that looks like for each individual person, because I think it looks different for everyone. That confidence, that feeling of I got this or feeling that at least I know what's happening and I can do something about it. I need to surround myself with people like that. So I'm sure they're benefiting from not only your expertise in that area, but I think that when you're around other women in like situations, people say that women break each other down, but I think when you're in it with a unified goal and understanding, it can build each other up. And I think that's what you do through the MS stage. So one more thing I wanted to talk about with that is the movement part of it. And So I did a little bit of research digging into what it is that you do. And I understand that the stage could be metaphorical, but it's actually like a physical stage that you move on. So share with us what the title MS stage means and what you guys do. Yeah. So I have a theater dance background. I grew up acting and dancing. And then in college, I wanted to be a director, choreographer and moved to New York when I was 21, right after I graduated college. And then 9-11 happened. So the MS stage came out of me honestly going back to my roots, my true roots of my passions of what I've loved since I was little. And I felt such a strong connection to it. And 
for me, the creativity aspect, and there's science behind how creativity can actually help ease MS symptoms. And dance can help cognitively, can help physically. Acting exercises can help cognitively, emotionally. Art can help. Now, I'm not an art therapist, music therapist, drama therapist, dance therapist, because there are people who are trained in that. And so I don't call this therapy. But I brought in all of the elements of all my trainings, what I've been taught in meditation, what I've been taught in drama and theater, I brought them all in together and created my own methods. So you don't have to love theater to do my program at all. And I'm just using certain exercises to tap into different elements of your story. So whether it's an improv exercise from acting improv, I'm doing an exercise there that helps you really learn how to be mindful and be present Mm. with your MS and in your day-to-day life. And the more you do it, the exercise that we do, the more you'll find yourself creating that mindset shift. And then the movement piece of it I know people are like, well, but I'm not a dancer. I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't like choreographed movement. As much as that would be fun for me to go back to that, that is not what this is. This is your body showing you how you want to move. And you can be seated in a chair. If people are in a wheelchair, that's totally fine. I have a cane I use sometimes and I dance with my cane and I love my cane. I've named her. My leg is named Roxy. And I lead people through a meditation to find the name of your symptom. And it's important to find that name so that you can talk to them, so that you can move with them instead of against them. So when I'm having a hard day, I'll say, come on, Roxy, let's go. We got this. And so she hears that and moves easier. But the movement piece is really, music is really important. I lead meditations with music And it's music with words. And I feel very strongly about music being an important piece because empowering music especially can filter into the cells in your body. And like I said earlier, they listen. So that piece of it, and then the moving the symptoms. So it's like however your body wants to move. And I created an exercise called the switch exercise. It's called switch. And we move with like frustration, then ease, hate, then love. So we switch the emotions with the symptom as you're moving. And it's different for every single person. So it doesn't matter how you're moving. I might move with my leg. I might hate it. And then I love it. It's the strength and then the release and the ease. And it's like just learning to move with it a little bit easier. So I know it sounds a little weird, (laughs) but it does help. It really does. It just sounds like you're making connections between your thoughts and your movements. Yeah. And I think that we need that on an emotional level and a physical level. Yeah. All of those things. No, it doesn't sound weird. It sounds necessary (laughs) to me. It is necessary. I mean, in my world, I'm glad you think so. I really believe in it so strongly. I feel that it's very important work. And honestly, the work came to me. It wasn't work that was forced... It's all the things I've done over my 43 years of life that have come into one program and all of a sudden made sense, right? I've done so many different things in my life. I've had so many different jobs, careers, moves all over the country. And interestingly enough, I had to move home to Charleston where I grew up. I hadn't lived here in over 30 years. 
So I had to move home to develop the MS stage. It's like I literally had to get back to my roots physically, emotionally, mentally, everything spiritually in order to create something that I feel is truly, truly important. And I feel like this is what I'm meant to do and leave behind because it really feels that strongly to me. And I will say one other thing, learning how to say I have MS and being empowered by it truly does empower me. I got just in the last few months, I got one of the placards for my windshield. So if I have to park and I don't always use it, but sometimes I need it. And you know what, if it's super hot out and I know my symptoms are going to be bad, why put myself through that? It makes me happy now to do it. Like it actually makes me feel empowered to just say, yeah, I have MS. And yeah, I walk with a cane sometimes and whatever. Like my husband and I went to a concert last night and I took my cane. I didn't need it most of the time. But when I did, I was like, I'm just going to dance with it. It's fun, whatever. I don't care. So there's ways to deal with it that aren't doom and gloom. Yeah. And I'm not saying, look, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I don't occasionally cry or have a hard day, but I also find that to be part of the process and part of the release. So I find that important too for people. Well, Megan and Roxy, (laughs) you've added some really great things to my day and I'm sure the listeners too. So from owning the label to being obsessed with wellness, coming to things on your own terms, practicing gratitude, determining what your symptoms tell you, Travel the hero's journey, moving with joy, love, and ease, bringing out your creativity and embracing the music and movement. I really thank you for bringing this joy to all of us today. Tell all the thrivers how they can find you. Oh, thank you so much. What a wonderful way to wrap all that together. So thank you for listening. You can find me at www.themsstage.com or on Instagram at the MS stage or same on Facebook at the MS stage. You can book a discovery call with me. You can sign up for my newsletter and get a free meditation. Yeah. So there's lots of ways to find me and I look forward to it. That sounds great. I hope everybody fills out the information so they can get your newsletter because I just want that little free meditation piece. That sounds really cool. I'm heading on over. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The MS stage is truly a mind, body, spirit program. We work on all of it and because all of it's important. I did forget to mention that, but that's an important piece. Well, I'm glad you did. Thanks so much for being here and everybody out there listening and Megan, please keep thriving. Oh, thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you. It's so nice to be here. I really appreciate your time and energy and effort and what you're doing is amazing too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. Keep thriving. Keep thriving.